Welcome to the Ladies Who Lead podcast. This is a community of women supporting women. Tune in every other Thursday to hear from SK Vaughn as she catches up with ordinary ladies doing extraordinary things. We will cover topics like diversity and inclusion, gender pay gap, thought leadership, and respect in the workplace. We want to celebrate with you and hear stories of success and hard lessons learned. Whether you are a lady who leads in the boardroom or a lady who leads in your community, this is the place for you. Let's do this. Lacey Woodruff is the owner and founder of Basic, a slow fashion, ethically made lifestyle shop based in Birmingham, Alabama. A native to the area, she graduated from Auburn University with a bachelor's degree in international trade and Spanish, and then returned to Birmingham for a career in finance. While serving as a financial advisor, Lacey launched Basic, a side hustle passion project that eventually shifted into the full-time dream it is today. In addition to Basic, Lacey is a small business consultant and freelance e-commerce web designer. She serves on committees for the Birmingham Museum of Art Contemporaries, Bib and Tucker Sew Op, and is involved in many initiatives advocating for women's rights, social justice, education, and or the arts in some form or fashion. Get it? <laughs> All I can say is this is an incredible episode. We are so lucky, fortunate, excited to have Lacey here with us. This is one you will not want to miss. Well, I am so excited to have Lacey here joining us today. How are you? Hi, I'm great. I am loving this extra hour of daylight. Uh, feel the springtime temps on the horizon. It's good. That's awesome. I'm I'm here for it for sure. I'm still catching up with my sleep. Let's get real, <laughs> but I'm loving it. Uh, well, I'm so glad that you're joining us today on the Ladies Who Lead podcast. I always kick it off with how are you surviving and thriving this week? And so while you're thinking through that, I will start us off first. So how am I surviving this week? Wow. I think it's just like a season of surviving if I'm being real honest right now. We are doing a lot of fun transitions and also some not so fun transitions right now work-wise. And so it's just been a challenge trying to navigate dynamics and show up. Uh, in certain spaces right now. And I'm just doing my best to keep it calm, cool and collected and keep it moving. But you know, anyone who tells you that being in a leadership position is always easy is just lying to you. So I think that's been something that's been really interesting this season is just surviving and kind of figuring out how to navigate some of the, the messier moments in our lives, right? And then thriving. Um, well, I think the spring is really like, my best life. Like I think season, season wise, I'm a seasonal person. I love fall and spring. And so I just feel like for that reason, like I'm really just living my best life. I got to go walk the dog, like after work for once in my life without it being, it's just things like that. It's like the little moments. Right. And so life giving. Yes. So that's kind of where I'm at with it. I mean, I'm just loving it. And again, still trying to adjust to like getting darker later and having to get up earlier and, you know, you're losing a little bit of sleep here and there, but it's also just really 
like you said, Lacey, it's really life-giving. So that's how I'm thriving. What about you? Amazing. So I guess I am surviving how we're all surviving, right? Like we, we've, we in politics are prioritizing drag bans. Uh, We've got like proposed death penalty for abortion seekers in South Carolina, which is absurd to me. In Alabama, we've got like teachers installing bunkers in classrooms because we just continue to lower gun uh, regulations as opposed to implementing common sense ones. So surviving life, I don't know, surviving modern day America, surviving this kind of pressure cooker that has has kind of been created over the last 10 years or so. Um, and then, and, and that surviving is like a surviving that is probably universal, right? Like we're all some version of that right now. Um, the thriving though is much more fun to talk about. Um, and really and truly, I was, I was kind of thinking about that as you were talking, like what, what is bringing me so much joy right now or what's filling me up? What's, what is, um, fueling my fire and adding to my tank and being women's history month, I have been really fortunate to get to spend a lot of time with some really incredible, um, women business owners and female makers in the past couple weeks. Um, that includes, one of my friends, Paige McLeese, who is a physical therapist and, I'm a, and also just started a um, exercise studio. And then a friend, Vika Hansen, who's a floral designer and she does set design, Catherine Tucker of Civil Stoneware, Natalie Channon. So I just feel really, really um, fed by all these incredible women who are so bold in what they do and so good at what they do. I love that, man. Oh. It is a great month, right? And I think it's also history in the making for Women's History Month. So, absolutely. It, I don't know about you, but like something about it just makes me feel like in my power and like in my collective women power, you know? Yes. I'm glad that you pointed that out because it is Women's History Month and it's an exciting time to be alive. It's an exciting time to continue to advocate for female voices. And I feel like, um, it's an honor and privilege to get to talk with you today, but also so many other women too, who've, who've, you know, graced us with their presence on the podcast. And it's women like you that I feel like are continuing the conversation and progressing it forward. So thank you again for just being on today. Ah, thank you for having me. Um, it is likewise you that, that creates more platforms for voices and more opportunity for women and, greater opportunity for us to all grow and learn from each other. And I'm super grateful for that. Oh, thank you. Yes. So as we dive in, please tell our friends a little bit about yourself and just your journey to becoming a female business owner. My, yeah. Okay. Yes. We will, we will start with um, a little bit about my background because my journey to becoming a female business owner is a very circuitous path. Um, But I grew up in the area. Um, graduated college at the height of the recession. And so I had graduated with a degree in Spanish and international trade and wanted to um, do coffee or wine importing from South America. That was like, you know, the dream in my brain and bless my sweetheart. When jobs are few and far between, those are not going to be the ones that a fresh out of college student gets. So I started sending my resume around and ended up um, at a local, locally headquartered finance company um, where I spent about seven years as a financial advisor. After that, or kind of not after, during that seven years as a financial advisor, I 
really kind of started trying to pay attention to myself a little bit more and like, what are, what are my desires? What are, what are my goals? Because I was really unhappy in the career and environment that I was in, given that it just did not align with my values, um, particularly that particular environment. And so with the help of my spouse, I kind of started thinking about like, what, what would make me happy? Um, and that was educate. And that was talking to and educating people about where their stuff comes from. But how did I get to that part? Um, so when I was in finance, I was selling primarily mutual funds and managed money. Um, but I dabbled in individual securities from time to time. This is a lot of technical talk for like, I was selling happy meals and then I started looking into just chicken nuggets. Um, and so I was looking at one of those chicken nuggets one day and it was actually the holding company for H and M and, as I was looking through their balance sheet and their income statement, I, I just had one of those eureka moments where I was like, wait a second, how in thy hell is a company selling $12 t-shirts printing this much profit? And it's because H&M and many other companies like them are what we call fast fashion companies. And I can go into more detail about that if you want, but bottom line was, I started learning about how they were generating their profits and all of those profits were being generated at the cost of people and planet. And I was like, hold the phone. I can't be a part of this anymore. Once I know something, once I learn something, I can't unlearn it. How did I exactly get to become basic? So once I know something, I can't unknow it. I can't unlearn it. And I instead sort of do the opposite. Like I get a little bit obsessive about needing to know more about it. Tumbled down a rabbit hole, watched the documentary called The True Cost, which if you haven't seen it, it's exceptional. It um, It's a little dated now because it's probably about, it's about nine years old, probably. It's about the Rana Plaza factory collapse in Bangladesh in 2011, which was a, um, a, a devastating human rights tragedy. Uh, there were over 1,100 uh, garment workers that were killed. Um, and it was simply because management and uh, that holding company, I may be incorrectly saying this, but I think I'm not, it was a global holding company, but the company that owned it was US. And, and I just was like, so there is an entire building of people that are now dead only because the people that had contracted them to make their, to make these clothes wouldn't, didn't care that the building was crumbling and needed structural changes. That would have cost money. They didn't care. So they let the people die literally that were making their clothes. So once I knew that I was like, okay, well, I can never shop at any one of these places ever again. Um, and as a result, I needed to find somewhere else to buy clothes, right? Um, corporate America is already where a woman's style profile goes to die. So with that, yes. like, knowledge, right? I mean, it's like devastating, dude. I remember getting out of college and like my first interviews, I went and bought a suit, right? And I was, I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, who is this? <laughs> Um, but so corporate America is absolutely where like women's style doesn't get to be a whole lot of fun. So with my newfound knowledge, I started just looking for small independent designers that made things that would function for my work wardrobe. Um, and because ethically made items are crafted by individuals paid a living wage, they're also usually products that are extremely high quality. And honestly, most of them freaking cool because the person that made them cares about it, right? Their life, their craft is being honored. They're being paid a wage that allows them to live a dignified life. And as a result, they want to do good work. 
Um, and so as I was buying from these really teeny tiny little designers from all over the place, a lot of whom were still making their clothes themselves. They didn't even have, you know, technical production. Um, I got a lot of compliments on them. They were, they were neat. They had interest. They were architectural or they were really nice. Um, or really, uh, not, I shouldn't say nice, a really, uh, soft or, appealing or suede kind of, you know, they're in, they're interesting fabrics, they're interesting shapes, they're interesting cuts. Um, so I was getting all these compliments and I took a step back from all of it, uh, and said, where, what is my value add as a person here? Like here being on this earth. And I can guarantee you that it's not in finance. Like that was an immediate, there was no question. My value add is not here. How, how can I, how can I do a job that isn't selling the stock of a company that is okay with killing 1100 people, you know? Um, and so I was not at the place that I could quit my job full time. I was talking to my husband about it and he was like, well, I mean, what would you want to do? And I said, I want to bring this knowledge to everybody else. I want to talk to people about where their stuff comes from and how important their purchasing power is. And he was like, uh, great. Well, um, budgetarily, that's not going to really work. <laughs> I was like, right. I can't, I can't quit my job. So we actually decided to start it as an online shop and pop up instead. And I did it as a side hustle for a year and a half. And then, uh, left my job in finance to pursue basic full-time about six years ago. Wow. It's circuitous. It's like not really a straight line. I love it when people are like, oh, you have a fashion background, right? I'm like, I absolutely have no idea about fashion. But you have a a, a desire to want to leave this world better than you found it. And I think therefore, you know, basic came to be. And I think that's a beautiful testament to your core values and beliefs and in putting good out there into the world. So good for you. Thank you. So I have to ask this question because basic is obviously the name of your shop. It's spelled differently. How did you come to think about the naming of your business and, and what kind of was involved in that? Um, I mean, basic with the period was really just to make a point, right? Like it's, it's supposed to be a little tongue in cheek, like, you know, basic bitches, um, but not really. It's really supposed to be that our foundational pieces of our wardrobe, like we were sold such a lie about how we should purchase clothes as children. Everybody that's listening to this was sold this lie um, because there's really nobody. Well, there's not nobody. Boomers still remember a clothing industry that had higher quality made items. But if you're like in your 40s or younger, then chances are you pretty much grew up with fast fashion. Um, and so we weren't ever taught how to build a foundational wardrobe, right? Like I legitimately at this point wear about 10 outfits and it's because they're all, they're all pieces that, that can be interchanged together and mismatched. And I get compliments on them because they're, they're nice. And cause, and, and cause I feel good in them. Right. And when you feel good in something, you exude confidence and you look happy and people are like, oh my gosh this is so great, but it's not, it's just a white, it's a white sweater and it's extremely well-made and I love it, but it's because I feel great in it. It serves my wardrobe and I know, and I know that the person that made it was paid a living wage to make it. Mm -hmm. Um, so basic was about, uh, creating basics in your closet 
respecting the basic human rights of every individual in our supply chain and reclaiming that basic bitch verbiage. I love it. I'm here for that. Yes. And it's so true because everyone has like those staple pieces in their closet that never go out of style, but they always get the compliments on them. I've got one friend who, and I, I like, I really, I've tried to pay attention over the last couple of years because I, I find her style so iconic. I've never not seen her just wearing plain jeans, flat, flat, these really, really cool. She's always got edgy flats on plain jeans, flats, and a black top fitted black top. And she looks so chic a hundred percent of the time. And she looks like her and it's the, and it's, it's like the same, right? Um, so yeah, anywho. I love it. Well, and for those who are listening in who may not be as aware of like what fast fashion is, it's basically the use of synthetic fabrics that are derived from like fossil fuels. So it's increasing carbon emissions and kind of that kind of taking us backwards, if you will, in terms of the waste. And just to put it into perspective, like 92 million tons of clothes related waste each year, which produces a half a million tons of microplastics. So 15% of the fabric used in production is actually wasted and 57% of the discarded clothes end up in landfills. So just kind of let that sink in a little bit because trust me, like I'm not perfect in this. Like I love a trend like the next person, but when you start hearing those facts, it's hard to not reevaluate your purchasing uh, patterns and behaviors and really kind of reevaluate kind of what you're putting stock into and what you're contributing to. Absolutely. Um, to, to track on that marking back about the fast fashion definition too, there, you know, a lot of people focus on different parts of the definition of fast fashion. And it's, you know, it's one that it has different iterations across the internets and across the industry. Um, but for how we define it at basic is that is a production model, that maximizes profit margin at the expense of people on the planet. Um, that's just kind of a more succinct and easier way for us to explain that the idea of fast fashion companies is that they will outsource production to, to areas with lower labor and material costs to increase the overall bottom line of that said, that said holding company. Um, and that people over profit I mean, people over people and planet over profit piece of it is like maybe the most critical central part of our entire business model. And I love the the fact that you're able to boil that down into like simpler terms for people, because I do think it's people over profit a hundred percent of the time, even outside of the fast fashion world. Like I think that is the essence of a really strong culture and a really strong uh, belief system behind I think leaders that create the ability for others to thrive. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All. Oh, well, thanks. I mean, to be, to be fair, like there are a lot of other companies or not even to be fair, to give credit where it's due. There are a lot of other companies that have always done business the right way. You know, there are a lot of companies out there that you can shop with that don't cut costs at, at the expense of people and planet. Um, but we are really happy to be a small one that offers really niche, cool clothes from designers that we believe so, so, so deeply in. Yes. So I have to ask this, like, how did you even know where to begin when sourcing like ethically made apparel and lifestyle goods? Because that just sounds really overwhelming 
when you throw that out there? How did you even begin kind of dabbling in this world? Um, I honestly, this is going to sound all kinds of ways. I know. Um, and I don't know how many founder stories start kind of this way, but starting a niche business that doesn't have a large baseline marketplace from which to source is challenging to say the least, but it's also where business owners kind of get to be creative. So I started sourcing on Instagram Um, and largely that's still where we find new designers. When we introduce them, we don't introduce new designers a ton. We've got really great relationships with the makers that we, um, work with, but when we do bring new, new brands on, it's usually at this point, either because we've seen them, you know, tagged in one of our existing brands, Instagrams, or because one of our existing brands referred them to us and said, we think this would be a really good fit. Um, you should get to know this person. This is how they do business. It's exceptional, et cetera, et cetera. And that's still how we do it now. I love that. And then it's interesting how Instagram plays a major role in like finding artisans and creatives. And I, I have such a love-hate relationship with it. So I, I can soapbox about Mark Zuckerberg if you're listening to this all day long. Um, but it really for small, especially when I started basic, it's less now because Instagram really has become a pay to play platform and small businesses, small designers have a hard time getting, you know, getting seen on feeds on the, um, the search feeds or whatever. And so it's a little more difficult, I think for small brands now, but it was an incredibly personal way to be able to make a touch point with, somebody who, why, I mean, I don't have a fashion background. Why would they, why would they sell me clothes? Right. But if they could see my profile and my pictures and see a little bit about me and get to know me as a person, maybe they feel confident that even though I didn't have a fashion background, I'd be able to represent their brand well. Um, and so, you know, Instagram where, where, where it's good, it's good. And you know, where it's bad, it's just so annoyingly bad. (laughs) <laughs> gotta love meta so fun gotta love meta is meta better that is the question i'm just kidding i'm gonna probably edit that part out uh i might get that on a sticker <laughs> uh, just remember me i will we'll put we we will absolutely put that sk von at like the lady suit <laughs> let's collab i'm here for it I'm here for it too uh. So we were talking previously in a conversation about going to market and you might want to kind of unpack that for those who aren't in the retail space, but I grew up in a retail environment growing up. My mom had a kid's store and just based on our conversation, it seems like a very different experience when you go to market to purchase goods, at least from your perspective and your business model. So I'd love to hear kind of how are those experiences different and kind of breaking that down for us. Yes, they're polar opposite. Um, So traditional market is... Uh, usually, well, historically it was a couple times a year now, because we have grown mass consumption so much in the last couple decades, um, some of the markets stay open year round, but so twice a year, uh, it's called Coterie uh, is the primary fashion market that a lot of the shops around here or just boutique shops in general probably go to, um, so there's uh, America's Mart in Atlanta, there's Coterie in New York. And I don't know if y'all are familiar with the Javits Conference Center in New York, but if you're not, look up the map of New York and like Javits is like a whole part of it. It's massive. 
the entire Javits Conference Center from top to bottom will have brands in it. And it's like it, you're they're, they're booths, you know, so you're like walking down these aisles and it's it's a sensory overload to say the least. Um, and then there's people, you know, yelling at you like, come look at this. Do you want to look at this? Look what I've got. Da, 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 da. And there's all these other buyers and they're pushing you out of the way because they've got to get it's so much. And I did go so that I had, you know, some frame of reference to, to, to be able to compare what my experience, you know, was too. Um, mine, uh, our experience is a lot more personal and I'm really, really grateful for that. Um, uh, particularly post pandemic, like just the thought of like going into a really loud place to buy a bunch of clothes and like have people yelling at me. I don't know. It's just not super appealing. Um, but so my designers also uh, taking a step back, those markets are expensive to attend. So like, you'll see brands like citizens of humanity and, and true religion and Trina Turk and all those, but it's because those are large corporate brands that have large budgets to go with them. Um, usually booth space at those markets is anywhere from four to $9,000, depending on what you want. And that's a lot of money out of somebody's bottom line. Who's just getting started out. Um, so when I started engaging with all of my folks on Instagram and started talking about how we were going to see their stuff, um, some of them did already have wholesale, um, production in place. So what those companies said was the way that we like to do it is if they were based in New York, we'd like for you to come to our studio and we'll meet in our studio and have a private appointment or if they weren't based in New York, they would fly in for the week, for market week, and rent an Airbnb um, somewhere, usually from like, I don't know, Chelsea over to the Lower East Side, because that's where most of the high fashion stuff happens. Um, or the, I should say more of the like indie fashion. Um, and, and then they kind of ship their stuff in, set up their own little mini showroom. And sometimes they'll invite some other designers that they share studio space with. So it might be six brands together in an apartment. Um, and they offer you a glass of tea when you walk in and it's quiet and there's soothing music on. Um, and we get to, we get to actually spend time with our designers, like not, not just a sales rep, but our actual designers, we get to talk to them about, um, the production changes they've made. Have you, they, you know, this one has eliminated this fiber because they found one that is going to be better for the planet. And this one is now offering, uh, four day a week work week for, um, you know, anyone who is full-time, et cetera, et cetera, whatever it may be. Um, it's, it's just a lot more, one-on-one, -on -one, um, which also gives me a lot better feeling for them as people really and truly. And because I've been working with so many of them for so long now, they're our friends. So while it was this like more traditional, you would go to their studio, go, we still do that, but it's like, I mean, I get to see my friends when I go up, we're hanging out, you know? Um, it's awesome. It's wonderful. I feel very, very fortunate. It's a very I different market experience. It's a lot more like going to New York and visiting a bunch of friends than it is going to New York for work. So what are some tangible ways we as consumers can actually support slow fashion efforts and eliminate excess waste? Like what are the little things that people can kind of walk away from this episode and start doing? 
Absolutely. For one, buy less. Um, we've become so desensitized as a society and how we think about uh, consumables. So clothing, uh, accessories, gadgets, knickknacks, et cetera. Be thoughtful. If you, if you need something, buy it. If you don't, don't. And to that point, be intentional with your purchases. I usually try and at the beginning of every year, look at my closet and just see what do I need anything? And if I do, what do I need? I have been looking, I finally found them last fall and I'm so excited about it. I've been looking for black boots for four years, literally four years. Um, so, you know, just being thoughtful about what we buy because we all work really hard for our money and, and um, we want to wear stuff more than more than one time. So that helps eliminate excess waste, the buying things that you know are going to serve you in your closet that you're actually going to wear that is not going to just end up in a giveaway pile. Slow fashion, I will say, generally is a little bit more expensive. So another great way to be a um, conscious consumer inside of fashion is to is to pursue vintage or thrift. There's so much cool stuff that already exists out there and that is like, a fraction of the price, right? And and there's a lot of vintage that gets marked up and like, you know, overpriced and stuff too. But if 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 you just want to try a little bit, if you just want to be thoughtful about how you buy clothes and where you buy them and from whom you buy them, then that in and of itself supports slow fashion and eliminates excess waste. So as a female business owner, you know, what has been the biggest lesson that you've learned along the way? This, that, that was a hard one for me. I think that the biggest lesson that I have learned, and I really feel like I've just put the cherry on top of this in the last year or so, um, integrity is a choice that not everyone around you will make, but it is up to you to govern your mind and actions in a way that's respectful to both yourself and to the world around you. The thing doesn't exist getting caught up in, in, success, however we define that or fame or prestige or whatever that thing is for you or your field or your life. The thing doesn't exist. Only love, kindness, and one chance to be on this earth does. Um, So it's up to you to live a life that honors your value systems and your beliefs and hopefully leaves some kind of a lasting impact on the world. But integrity is a choice that not everyone around you will make, and you have to have it regardless. Wow, that's powerful. Mm. It's a good one. That's a really good one. It's a hard one, too. I mean, it's not hard if like that's something that you live by, but there are so many other people who aren't living by that same value system, if that makes sense. So it's interesting. Right. So, so like for me, a lot of that had to do with, with finance, right? Like there, there are a lot of really great people who work in that world who are, are kind and loving and good humans, but there are a lot of folks that aren't in temptation to pursue the things that look shinier, more sparkly, usually lay along that, you know, lower end of the ethics and integrity scale. And for a long time, I didn't know how to exist in that. Right. So I just would like kind of tread water. Like, I don't want, I just, am not going to be anything. I'll be Switzerland. Um, they won't know if I have integrity or not. And that's not who I want to be. Right. Like I want to show up in this world 
in, in my values, in my beliefs. And so that means that I have to be strong enough to do that when other people around me don't think it's cool. Yeah. That's a, that's interesting that you point that out because I think that like a lot of people have that kind of a situation in some form or fashion happen to them in their career, even personally. And it kind of stops you in your track sometimes. And you're not really sure which way to navigate because, you know, there is always backlash to taking a stance and it's so much easier to be Switzerland in a lot of so much easier. Um, So what advice would you give other aspiring female founders? Don't listen to people when they tell, you no. just don't do it. Um, Especially. And, and I mean this lovingly, in the most respectful way possible, especially when your parents or older generations question what you are doing. We live in a different time with, and and we have so much more availability of knowledge, connectivity of, of communication. Don't let people tell you, no, your idea is good. Your business at your business is good. Your effort is good. Say yes to yourself. Yes. I love that. And giving yourself permission to do it. Absolutely. Go for it. Yeah. The worst thing that's going to happen is that people tell you no, but like, so what? So what if they don't, if they tell you no, you, you say yes and say, and, and find the other people that will say yes back to you. And I mean, I, I will say, I don't want to make that sound a little bit toxic or, or, or anything, um, because there are obviously times when like, no is a firm answer about something like, no, you cannot rent this building that is already occupied by another business. Yeah. That's like a hard no. Um, but I mean, be creative, figure out a way if you really, really believe in something and you really, really want to make it happen, figure out a way to make it happen, figure out a way to say yes. I love that. When you look back on your life and it's all said and done, what do you hope to accomplish? Uh, When I look back on my life or when I just think about what the, what, what they would say, um, if my life were to end tomorrow, the only thing, the only goal that is important to me is that I have been a safe space for people to feel seen, heard, and loved. Um, that's the only thing that I care about. That's a good answer. Good answer. So what's next for you in basic? Basics. Cool. Kicking it. Um, we've got all sorts of cool stuff going on. We are expanding some of our programming to include some adult camp craft kind of days this summer. Um, we are working on our own brand. Um, one of the, kind of critical things that I wanted to be able to do when I started basic was always have a white button up shirt in stock. Cause it was like really absolutely difficult to find that when I was working in finance to like find one that was comfortable and like attractive that I didn't have to iron, et cetera. Um, and we've really struggled to actually keep that in stock. So we're going to make our own. Um, and then some other stuff too. And we're just going to keep on keeping on kind of doing what we do, which is talk to people about how they spend their money and hopefully create a a happy, welcoming, warm space where people can feel incredibly beautiful and comfortable in their own skin. 
I love that. So tell me more about this adult crafting thing. This happened. This right, we're, calling, we're calling it, we're calling it camp craft, okay. um, which I'm super stoked about. So we will have, um, some artists, makers, designers, crafts, people, skilled artisans, I should probably call them come and teach different workshops this summer. We will have a paper making slash and or paper marbling workshop with Courtney who owns Honey Creeper Chocolate. And I'm putting that here and she's going to be so mad at me, but it means she has to do it. Not really. She won't be mad at me. We are talking to Julie Masela about doing an embroidery workshop. Alabama Channon um, is speaking with us about doing a uh, workshop as well. So we've got a lot of really, really fun get your hands dirty, but walk away with knowledge. And in general, they'll all be really, really cool crafts that you'll finish with. Um, so, I, you know, like adults need to play too. Why yes. are we supposed to just be boring? I don't know. I'm, I keep asking myself that. Right? As, like we need as, to stimulate yeah. our minds and our creativity. And it's really hard to make time to do that. I understand that. I have a hard time myself. So that's why we're creating this framework so that there will be a structure in place where people don't, don't even have to go and look for whatever it is that they want to do. It's at basic on Saturday, June 6th or whatever that date, you know. Yes, so, I'm here for, I'm, I'll be there. Like I'm excited. I'm so excited. I really am. I know we, we were talking about like capacity for each of the different workshops and stuff. Cause some of them will have to be smaller than others, depending on like what the materials used are and whatnot. And I was like, guys, you know, that we are going to have to take our, our, our names out of the hat until the end of the sign up process. <laughs> so last question, loaded question. And this is probably one of my favorite questions how do you define success? I've defined, I know exactly how I define success. I define success as getting home at the end of every day and knowing that I worked really hard and that I was as nice as I possibly could have been within whatever circumstances happened that day. And that I have relationships um, where I feel loved and they feel loved. And that my life actually reflects all of the things that I want it to. And I don't know, I feel pretty fortunate right now that it, it kind of does, right? Um, I don't define success monetarily in any way whatsoever. That's great. Yeah. And just being a good success, human being. Success, like, I love that. I say, success to me is like how I feel about myself at the end of it all, you know? Um, how I feel about what I've done in this world. Am I proud of it? Yes. And if I am, then I was successful. That's awesome. Well, now it's time for the leading ladies. We love rapid fire game. Mm -hmm. So I will shout out an adjective and I would love for you to, um, share the love with your, the women that come to mind and that Absolutely. you feel like you want to shout out and support. So let's do this. Absolutely. All right. First word is unapologetic. Shada Rabii. Oh, and just give like a brief description. Sorry. Oh, Shada so Let me use that again. So the first word is unapologetic. Shada Rabii. She is a marketing professional at Big Communications and has always been someone who has 100% known herself. She takes no shit from nobody. She like, not even when we were like eight, 
And she is one of the kindest, most giving people I've ever known, but she makes absolutely no apologies for who she is. None, not one. Next word is daring. Courtney Agee. Courtney is, she was younger than me um, at my high school and she is a postal worker now. And she is somebody who speaks question to power all the time in a lot of different respects. And she is not concerned what the backlash on her is at all. She's just, she's bold. She is just a bold, bold woman. And I love following her and watching her and, and knowing her really. Next word is inspiring. Inspire Megan Thomas. Megan works in the mayor's office. She, her mom, Valerie, is one of my favorite people on planet Earth, I think. Um, not I think, I know. Megan did city planning in Boston for a long time and has worked with a lot of different organizations to create more equitable and just communities. And she has already spearheaded so much as a part of the mayor's office here, has already made a huge impact on the unhoused population here. And she just kind of blows my mind. Next word is creative. Tanya Price. Tanya is my, she's just a movie star. Like I, I look at her and I'm like, oh my gosh, you just are art in walking form. She's always, she is always creative, whether it be with her verbiage, whether, whether it be with her wardrobe, whether it be in her home, her job is also <laughs> creative. Um, she's just kind of the embodiment of it. And I really love having her in my life because I love creative, beautiful things. And she's beautiful inside and out. Last word is fearless. Maria Underwood, without a doubt. Like when I, when I was talking about that, like don't, don't let people tell you no earlier, she is somebody that I look up to so much in that respect. Like as a startup owner, life is freaking hard. And I know that because my husband was a startup owner too. So I got to see it like, you know, from the driver's seat standpoint or the uh, passenger seat standpoint to pursue and be successful with everything that she has with Fundrage is mind blowing on its own. And then you add in Birmingham bound and the fact that I think she's on like six boards and, you know, <laughs> bought a house, uh, got married, is gonna have a tiny human. She's just, she's just, I don't know. She just goes for it. She just goes for life and I love it. That's awesome. Well, that is the end of the Leading Ladies We Love Rapid Fire Game. Great job. Yay. Yes, it's always great when we can celebrate other women doing big things and small things in the world. I think it's great. Uh, it, you could ask me 25 more words and I could come up with a woman <laughs> for each of them because truly I am so fortunate and so grateful to be surrounded by nothing but unapologetic, daring, inspiring, creative, and fearless women and so much more. So women, y'all, y'all, y'all the real MVP, you know? <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Before we wrap up, what is your shameless plug? How can our friends find you and basic on? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, so our physical store is in downtown Birmingham on 2nd Avenue North. If you are familiar with downtown Birmingham, we are smack dab in between Bamboo on 2nd and La Fresca across the street from El Barrio. We are also available to shop online, www.abasicshop.com because basic.com was like $40,000 to buy as a domain, but abasicshop.com was 14. So, you know, these are the, these are the ways that you don't let people tell you no, you just find a way around. And then you, or you could follow us on Instagram at abasicshop. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It has been so much fun and just also just really inspiring to hear your story and how basic is continuing to do big things in downtown Birmingham. So thank you. Thank you. I I appreciate you and um, appreciate you giving a voice to so many women who are incredibly inspiring. Well, thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the ladies who lead podcast. Looking for another way to engage with the Ladies Who Lead podcast? Check out our Instagrams and our show notes at The Ladies Who Lead. And don't forget to check out our website, www.theladieswholead.com. Until next time, I'm SK Vaughn.